Today's Girls on Film is live with an audience from London with Sarah Dosa, the director of the extraordinary doc Fire of Love, which has been Oscar and BAFTA nominated. Here's Sarah. We uh, came across a sentence in a, in a book that Maurice wrote where he said, for me, Katya and volcanoes, it is a love story. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today we're celebrating the documentary Fire of Love from National Geographic Documentary Films and directed and co-written by Sarah Dosa. Fire of Love tells the story of French volcanologists Katia and Maurice Kraft, who died as explosively as they lived. The film mines the extensive archive they captured of each other and of the volcanoes they studied. And it's been nominated for a 2023 Oscar for Best Documentary Feature and BAFTA for Best Documentary. Also, it's been nominated at our Girls on Film Awards, among many others. After a screening of Fire of Love, I talked to Sarah along with the audience. Hello. Hi. Congratulations on the film. Uh, and welcome so to Girls on Film. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, it's such an honour. Thank you so much, Anna. Well, we're big fans of Fire of Love and a massive congratulations for it being BAFTA nominated, Oscar nominated and nominated for the Girls on Film Awards. Hooray. Round of applause for that, I think. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel wonderful. This is beyond a, a dream come true. Um, and I also feel great because I get to, to celebrate this with a wonderful team. And I just want to take a, a little moment to acknowledge them. Um, here with us today, we have one of our producers, Ina Fitchman. Uh, she's right there. <laughs> our executive producer, Carolyn Bernstein. Um, and our team at National Geographic. And it's just been a ride of a lifetime to get to show the film around the world, thanks to National Geographic. Well, you're right. Filmmaking is a collaboration, isn't it? And, and I love that you did that. And I'd like to talk to you more about the teamwork later. Um, kind of first of all, I wanted to talk to you about something that really struck me when I first watched this film, which was it makes you think about how we live our lives, not necessarily for how long, but how we live our lives and what we choose to do with our lives. I found that really powerful. Could you speak a bit about that? Sure, yes, that's one of my favorite topics. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, we really believed that Katya and Maurice Kraft uh, had such a clarity of purpose. And so much of that was because they, they lived in relationship with death. They didn't necessarily fear death, but they learned how to be drawn towards what they loved in, in life, knowing that death could lurk around the corner. But that relationship to love um, and the fact that, that they had each other and supporting this kind of pursuit, um, that enriched their lives, that brought tremendous meaning. Um, and that's such an inspiring thing. That that's something that our, our team thought about a lot during the edit and how we could kind of play with the existential philosophies that the two wrestled with on a day-to-day -day basis um, into the film. Um, and yeah, there's something about kind of the metaphor of volcanoes and, and how that relates, you know, the mystery of volcanoes and how that relates to the mystery of love that can pull questions of meaning and purpose into focus. In a cold world, all the watches started to freeze. 
The sun came and went between blizzards and gusts which erased all bearings. In this world lived a fire, and in this fire two lovers found a home. I also love the focus on love. I mean, it's, and, the, and the title says it all, really. Um, but can you talk to me a, a bit more about how you arrived at that that approach and that angle, if you like? Sure. So you can make, I think, 100 films out of the craft archive. It's just so expansive and, and beautiful and beguiling. Um, but for us, during our research process, we kept coming back to this idea about love because that's what, uh, you know, friends and family members that we interviewed, uh, love was really at, at the heart of, of the craft's life. And that came through in those interviews. Um, but also we uh, came across a sentence in a, in a book that Maurice wrote where he said, for me, Katya and volcanoes, it is a love story. And that's now at the end of the film. But for us, it was really a genesis point and in, in figuring out kind of the, you know, the, the interpretive um, the lens or, or the prism through which we wanted to understand their work. And so we began to kind of look for, um, you know, understand volcanoes as a love language, so to speak, for Katya and Maurice and try to figure out how we could build this love triangle story um, using their archive. You mentioned that you did interviews and I'm interested that you didn't include them in the film. I think it works beautifully, but I'd love to hear from you what that decision was about and, you know, how you arrived at that. Yeah, so it was super important for us to um, to listen to the crafts as deeply as possible, which was a tremendous challenge because they've passed away 30 years before we ever came to this material. Um, but of course, they're present in, in their footage and their audio recordings and their writings. Um, I should say they authored nearly 20 books in addition to all the footage they recorded. Um, and uh, you really get a sense of their personality and, and who they were through that. Um, but it was so important to us to, to dig even deeper. And so we conducted about 15 interviews with colleagues of theirs, family members who are able to give us um, a more intimate glance into their very unique relationship. Um, that material, though, we didn't want to record it on camera because that uh, that information was told from the perspective of you know the present, which would have been the future in kind of the the timeline of the film. It was so important for us to situate the audience kind of in the moment. Um, Katya and Maurice really lived in the moment themselves. That relationship to time was essential to our storytelling and just in terms of um, them figuring out how, how to live life, you know, going back to your original question, your, your first question. Um, so I'll just say if we had people speaking from, you know, uh, 2021, um, it would have broken that kind of the, the tense nature of that temporality. So we, we didn't want that. But it was so essential to include the perspective. And so it was woven into our narration. Beautifully done. And the narration, I mean, Miranda de July is just amazing. We love her on Girls on Film. Uh, and she just seems so perfect for this. Um, what was it about her that made you sort of land on that? Um, she's an artist that our film uh, team has loved for, for many years. For, for me personally, I saw Miyu and everyone we know in 2006, a year before it came out, and it was unlike anything I had seen before. I felt like she was creating a new cinematic language that was so... It was so strange and bizarre, yet intimately familiar. It's like I, I felt like she was glimpsing into, you know, the way I saw relationships and, and the world. Maurice once said, Look at how small we humans are against this volcanic force. The only thing that will remain of our passage is that we can write, tell stories, and film. And so she, she just has such a talent for, I think, uh, building relationships um, with such a sense of kind of 
human precarity, if that makes sense. Um, with there's there's like a fle there's like a yearning in her work, um, and we wanted that kind of sense of, of yearning, that kind of romantic uh, whim, um, to really be infused in, in the delivery of our narration. So all to say, working with her was was really a dream come true. She also has a restraint um, to her voice and her delivery, which was important because we wanted to make space for the craft's images to really come uh, to, to be felt um, in, in their grandiosity, you know, in, in their magnitude. And so having kind of a restrained voice that could still communicate warmth and, and love uh, was was essential. Well, sound is so important in many ways in this film. Um, I want to ask you about the music, but first, can I also ask you about having to add sound yes. to 16 millimeter footage that did, had no sound, yes. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was a challenge for us, for sure. Yeah, so I should back up and say we worked with about 200 hours of 16 millimeter footage that Katya and Marie shot, and that did not have any sync sound. And then there was about 50 hours of material of Katya and Maurice appearing on um, television in France, Switzerland, Belgium. And that luckily did have sound. Yes. <laughs> and that's where, you know, you hear them talking and, yeah. and whatnot. So having to find a way to re-record that would have been impossible. Um, but the 16 millimeter footage, it was so, it's so spectacular. Um, we really needed to make sure it came alive sonically too. And, and sound plays such a narrative role in any film, but particularly in a film where, you know, you're talking about this unpredictable force. You know, sound plays such a, a role in, in surprise um, and suspense. So my editors, Aaron Casper and Josh, Jocelyn Chaput, um, from a very early point in making the film, began doing painstaking research to find scientifically accurate explosion sounds. And they really built these intricate, uh, you know, it almost felt like, you know, architectural blueprints or something in terms of the, on, on the timeline in our uh, AVID program, um, just really going in, into depth in terms of the, the sound design. One thing, though, that not having sound did for us is it opened up kind of a space for play that we didn't expect. Um, Katya and Maurice really understood volcanoes as these kind of sentient beings, you know. They weren't just earth forms. They, they were alive. And we were able to kind of go into that subjective experience through sound. Um, there's an example I often like to give, which, you know, in, in our scene in Indonesia in 1979, Katya and Maurice visit a volcano called Anak Krakatau that in, in their writings they talk about as kind of a, a monster, this, this beast. And Erin, when she was editing that scene, she experimented with putting what she, uh, well, what, what were called dinosaur sound effects <laughs> in with yeah. the explosion. Wow. And you couldn't quite hear, you know, a roaring, but there was something subtle that brought out that feeling of sentience that seemed true um, in terms of how they really experienced volcanoes. And we might have not necessarily had that opportunity if the sound had been preserved. So it's just one of those examples of how something that seemed like a tremendous challenge at the outset actually opened up into an opportunity um, for not only play, but to get closer to, to Kati and Maurice and, and their relationship with volcanoes. It's really effective. Um, and the music, of course, uh, tremendous and uh, has, has a wonderful, playful spirit as well, I think. Um, talk to me more about that. Oh, sure. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah, music was so important in, in the making of the film. 
you know, this is a love story, and the music has such a, a powerful way of, uh, yeah, of conjuring the emotions of falling in love. There's such a dreaminess and, and a whimsy um, that that was really important to us um, in terms of bringing to the film that we got to do through music. From the beginning, we kind of thought about the score as being retro-futuristic. That was the word we, we always talked about. Um, another way to think about that is kind of like a dreaming of the future, but from the past. And some of that was derived from, you know, the kind of fun, kind of kitschy uh, outfits that they wore, namely the 70s volcano helmets. And we had the great fortune of working with uh, Nicolas Godin, who is one half of the French band Air, uh, to develop an original score. Uh, and that was a wonderful process. Uh, we also had a number of kind of archival um, musical compositions in the film, namely, you know, French pop music from the 60s that Katia Maurice would have been listening to, uh, and some music, too, that kind of highlights Katia Maurice's cinematic tendencies themselves. So that kind of helped to, to situate the, the feel of this collage film that, that we were going for. You must have been so incredibly immersed in their world. I wanted to ask you that as a woman, did you find yourself relating to Katia in any way, particularly in terms of career or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Katia experienced tremendous sexism as a woman in science, as many women in, in science still experience and many women in many industries continue to experience. There was things that showed up in the footage that, you know, broke our hearts. Um, there was one moment, actually, it's not in the film, and I, I can talk about why, uh, but one moment when um, Maurice is being introduced at this kind of scientific roundtable, and they say, with us today is world-famous volcanologist and adventurer Maurice Kraft and his wife Katya. Oh, my gosh. And you can just, like, see oh. her jaw tightening, you know? Oh. Um, Katya has seen more erupting volcanoes than Maurice, yet here's her husband who's getting credit for this, is so lauded and celebrated. And that was really upsetting to her. She experienced things like that all the time. She was routinely dismissed on field, you know, out in the field. Uh, yet she persevered because she knew how good she was. Um, she was absolutely at the, at the top of her field. And she was so in love with it. She knew that there was no other choice for her. You know, the last line of the film is her saying, I can't imagine living any other way. And so the fact that she had that that fortitude um, of spirit and confidence in herself was tremendously inspiring to us as a team. Very important to us that we balance her in the film, because I should also say that there is a lot less of Katya in the archival record than there was of Maurice. Oh. Part of that was due to the sexism, the fact that the cameras were often trained on Maurice, and also she didn't like media appearances, probably because of, of encounters like that. But we took her writings and had an actor voice a lot of her writings in the film to make sure that she had equal weight in the film to kind of correct for that um, inequity in, in the record. Vous filmez toutes vos expéditions. Oui, c'est une façon de, de, de les observer. Ensuite, on peut très bien re-regarder ces images et les étudier à fond parce que le phénomène passe trop vite au moment où vous le regardez. Talk me more actually about their relationship because did you uncover anything as you were looking into it that surprised you or that that kind of made you stop to think? 
Um, yes, there, there are many surprises along the way. I think when we first started out, we kind of understood them as a unit. You know, they both did the same thing. They supported each other all along the way. But the more digging we did, um, especially the interviews that we conducted, we really realized that they had very different approaches to life. Uh, they were both extremely bold. They were both absolutely in love with volcanoes, yet Katya was much more methodological, um, Maurice was a bit more impetuous, and that caused conflict in, in their life. Um, however, they would always reconcile because they knew that if they didn't support each other, they would be, uh, you know, not um, able to pursue the, the highest love of their life, which is kind of their, their pursuit of trying to understand volcanoes and exploring that mystery. So there are things along the way, um, for example, as we say in the film, kind of the decision to pursue gray volcanoes was kind of a negotiating tactic, actually. It was, got Maurice out of his fixation on finding a way to get in a canoe and, and travel down a lava flow. Um, so all to say that, that that was their compromise. And it's very sad, you know, it's a tragic compromise in many ways, but at the same time, it kind of satiated Katya's quest, um, you know, she was she was a little bit more inclined to, to really look for understanding. That was really for her. If this was a type of volcano that was poorly understood, she wanted to understand it. And for Marie, she was so animated by, like, the danger and the lure and, of course, the scientific questions. But, um, yeah, I'll just say gray volcanoes kind of satisfied both of what they were longing for. That's that's really where they were able to come together. Um, but that, that was something that's not, you know— in their 16 millimeter footage. There's hints of that in their books and in some other biographies about them. But we were really grateful for those nuances that came through in our research um, that really were surprises and how we initially understood their, their relationship. This is Katya, and this is Maurice. It's 1991, June 2nd. Tomorrow will be their last day. They will leave behind samples. Words. Hundreds of hours of footage. Thousands of photos. And a million questions. I love it. A lot of your job really has been sort of excavating the past, hasn't it? And, and discovering something that, and putting a picture together, really, that no one had previously done about this incredible couple. It's amazing. It's, it was such a joy. Um, it was so challenging uh, because they weren't physically with us to be our guides. Um, but we learned so much through that process of, of working with archives. Yeah, it, was a, it felt almost like a, akin to some sort of like geologic excavation yeah. of yeah. its own. And we really did think of, you know, from the 16 millimeter foot to their television appearances, to their writings, to the music or the narration or the animation. We all thought of them as kind of different sediments, you know, different geologic layers, so to speak, that could come together to, to form this landscape. Um, but it was, I've got to say, the fact that this wasn't, you know, materials from the past, that they weren't with us, that produced an unrequited sense in our process. You know, we longed to ask them certain things, to say, who is this person in this shot? Or what were you thinking in this moment? And and um, that just made us think about the idea of the unknown, which is kind of a, a grand theme in, in the film. And of course, a process um, that's intrinsic to, to scientific inquiry. But yeah, I, I hope that that kind of unrequited longing perhaps can find its way in, into the film. And, and perhaps there's something very romantic about unrequitedness in and of itself. Definitely for me, there's that sense. Yeah, and something quite magical about that. I was going to ask you something slightly related to talk about wanting to ask them questions, but... This is a hard one, but if you could have been a fly on the wall at any point in their lives, 
And just one point, what would you have chosen? There's part of me that really would love to see them at home in Alsace, just because they uh, were so, at least how they talked about it through their work, they were so restless and that would, did not feel like home. Their home was really on a volcano. So I'm just really curious to know what how the relationship played out in, in that kind of domestic space. But I've got to say that the scene um, that I mentioned before of Anak Krakatau in 1979, that's um, in their work, they really talk about that as, as um, being met with such profound danger. Maurice, someone who's so bold and, and uh, comes across as such this courageous, fearless person, um, that was the moment where I first learned that he was terrified about losing Katya, where he really thought, like, my wife could die in this moment because the volcanic bombs were coming every few minutes and, and um, that kind of danger, they hadn't encountered it on that level before. And to see them trying to reconcile the relationship to really kind of think about what they love most, the volcano, each other, uh, I think there's a lot of questions um, um, that are not answered in the film or in what they left behind that you could only perhaps know by bearing witness to it. So I think it would be a very challenging moment to, to yes. peek in on, but I, I think I would have learned a ton about them and their relationship and what truly was like the most meaningful to them. Before I cut to the audience, I wanted to ask you a bit more about the team that you mentioned, including a lot of wonderful women, if you'd like to just uh, talk about how you kind of work together in the process. Yeah, yeah, I feel profoundly grateful for my team. I, I love them so much and they called out a few here and I don't know if Shane Boris, our other producers, made it yet. Um, I think he's on his way. But uh, we had, yeah, we had a small team and we worked very closely together. It was deeply collaborative. Um, we made this during the pandemic and kind of we started the, during the summer and fall of 2020 when we were on lockdown. And, and um, I was working with my two editors, Aaron and Jocelyn, remotely at first over Zoom. Um, however, we quickly realized that if we were going to kind of get into especially some of the deeper themes of intimacy, fear, um, you know, and, and working with this spectacular yet extremely cumbersome archive, being in person would be much, much easier. Yeah. And so Erin actually moved from New York to San Francisco, where I'm ba she's based in New York. I'm, I'm based in San Francisco. She moved in with me and Jocelyn lives just up the hill from me. And, and she was there at all hours of the night. Um, Shane, um, one of our producers, was there all the time. We're on the phone to Ina a lot. So I'll just say we, we were kind of conjuring this group spirit um, as we were making this film. Erin, Jocelyn, Shane and I wrote the narration together as well. At first, it might sound like four writers would be kind of create a mess, but um, it was a very organic process of, of doing that together and had to really be done in tandem with the edit. Uh, it was always a dance between editing the picture, writing the words, putting the words on the picture, taking away some words, putting more imagery in. So I'll just say if we hadn't been in person to do that all together, um, I think the film would feel very different. And I'm just so, so grateful for the kind of heart and joy and laughter and ridiculous moments um, that we had in, in kind of putting together this uh, this film. Thank you for that. Great collaboration. Uh, we have some roving mics. Um, so hands up. We have one already here. Thank you. Can I, who actually owns that archive now and who protects it? Does it get used by anybody else? 
That, that's a great question. The Craft Archive now, it changed hands um, when we were making the film. Um, I believe it's now owned uh, by a company in Switzerland called Titan Films. That's correct, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that they have plans to open a museum with it, and I, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I, I'm certainly hopeful that their imagery can, can be seen and experienced all around the world. Um, some of the, the material I was talking about where they appear on television, that exists in, in kind of the National Archives and largely in France, um, and can be accessed through just a, a simple kind of archival research process. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how the craft's legacy is going to continue to to be uh, understood and reinterpreted. Um, one thing I'll actually share is that during our, we had the great fortune of premiering the film in France at the Louvre, where um, Maurice's older brother, Bertrand, introduced the film, and having him kind of present the film was, was so meaningful for us. It really was a homecoming. Uh, and he was so happy that, you know, they were celebrated as scientists during their, their lifetime, but now they're being celebrated as artists. Um, but at that screening was a, a woman who actually made a film about them in 1995, right after they passed away. And uh, she came up to me and said, you know, she's really happy about the film and seeing Maurice and Katya's images uh, out in the world again. And she said, I really hope in 30 years there's going to be another curious young woman who comes along and rediscovers them and puts another film out into the world. And so um, they, they might be owned in one place now, but I, I feel like there's, there's a legacy that... Um, really speaks to their mythic quality as people and just the profundity of their images that will continue to have people interested and excited about them for, for many years to come. Very quick question. How, how did this project come to you or how did you come to the project? Um, I first met Katia and Maurice uh, a few years ago, actually, when I was finishing the last film I directed. That's a film called The Seer and the Unseen, and it tells the story of an Icelandic woman who is in communication with spirits of nature, which is a very common belief in Iceland and, and around the world. Uh, we wanted to open that film with images of erupting volcanoes in Iceland, and so we started doing archival research on erupting volcanoes, and that's how we first learned about Katia and Maurice, because we, we saw their footage. Um, the footage was instantly just mesmerizing and, and different. We could tell that there was something unique about how they shot volcanoes than the other images that we were seeing. But it was really once we learned about them as a married couple, the fact that they were so in love with each other and obsessed with, you know, the fiery earth, that's what made us think, oh, there, there's a story here. And then we learned that there's hundreds of hours of footage. Uh, and uh, to make a long, we actually, we were starting to work on a different film that in Siberia after we finished this year in the Unseen. But during the pandemic, that project unfortunately collapsed, and we thought making an archival film could be a good way to continue to, uh, to make work. And that, that's when we um, ended up getting a hold of the archive, and, and one thing led to the next. It is really amazing how out of so much archival footage you have managed to do something so really precise, and that every moment is really calculated and every emotion works at the exact moment. So here we've got like a small representation of documentary students and we really would love to find out a little bit about the filmmaking process, uh, especially how was the screenwriting part and why did you come up with such a unique narration added to the film? Uh, well, thank you for those kind words and that's so cool that there's some documentary students here. So thank you for coming. Uh, for, for us, I should say at the very beginning, we didn't want narration for the film. We were hopeful that the archives could speak for themselves. 
Um, but once we started watching the archives and realize, you know, the fact that there wasn't sound and the footage that did have sound um, was also very limited. Uh, for example, uh, when Katya and Maurice appeared on television, they tended to be explaining kind of the science of eruptions um, or uh, doing their kind of their fun bits, you know, of them joking about being volcano devils or that Katya is cheating on Maurice with volcanoes, things like that. Um, there was only one interview that we were able to find after painstaking research where they really talked about their relationship and we used every kind of sh every piece of that interview possible. Um, so I'll just say, if we were going to tell a love story, which for us really felt like the kind of truest interpretation of their legacy, we needed another narrative vehicle in order to do so. We decided on narration because, well, for a few reasons, but namely because uh, uh, of the French New Wave. Um, Katia and Maurice came of age in, in the late 60s in France when the French New Wave was the kind of major cultural and aesthetic movement happening. And some of the hallmark uh, flourishes or styles of the French New Wave really show up in their own work. For example, Maurice's cinematography, he has these really fun snap zooms that a lot of people today associate with Wes Anderson, but is very much derived kind of from the French New Wave. And Katia's writing reminded us of Agnes Varda or Francois Truffaut. So I'll just say it felt organic to use kind of what inspired them as our own inspiration. They were always our North Star in, in any creative decision. We would always think, like, what would Katya and Maurice do? Um, and kind of a playful, subjective narrator is also one of the hallmarks of that movement. Um, so we decided, okay, we're, we're going to adopt that and, and bring in that type of narration to kind of be the, uh, yeah, the, the guide in the film that can help prompt and, and spell out, or hopefully not spell out, but uh, put attention towards the love story. It was always a dynamic process. Again, like deeply collaborative, writing it alongside the edit. But we really wanted our narrator to feel curious in a way that Katya and Maurice themselves were curious. We wanted to acknowledge that uh, we didn't have all the answers and that this is a film about the unknown, whether it's the unknown mystery of volcanoes, the, you know, the, the mysteries of the human heart, or our unknown process of, of you know, just trying to decipher their lives from all they left behind but couldn't directly ask. So um, that kind of helped shape the voice and the, and the perspective of the narrator. Um, and again, as, as I mentioned before, we, we tried to get out of the way as much as possible. Uh, we really did want to let the images and their voices speak as much as possible, yet at, at the same time still kind of prompt, you know, um, yeah, have our words call attention here and there to raise questions rather than to declare facts. So th those were some of the rules that, that we learned um, to develop when we were making writing the narration. Uh, one last thing I'll say is that we actually wrote a backstory for our narrator, which was really useful. We didn't want anyone to ever know it, um, but it was really useful for us, especially since there's four of us writing um, that helped to ground a perspective. Uh, and it was extremely detailed to the level of like the, the pet that our narrator had. <laughs> and <laughs> What was the pet? I need to know. It, it was a tortoise, <laughs> a tortoise. who was going to outlive our, our narrator. <laughs> and that was part, she was really wrestling with more questions of mortality herself. She was obsessed with teeth. Anyways, I won't bore you, but, but we really had fun kind of getting into her backstory. And um, we didn't want Miranda to, to know this. We wanted Miranda to inhabit it fully. Um, but it was really useful for us um, in saying like, would our narrator say this or this? and that, that helped to make choices. You mentioned that you sort of discovered this film when you were making another one. So I'm really interested in what's next for you and in the making of this film if you found out the next story that you want to tell. 
That's such a great question. Um, I, I always love how films dialogue with each other, and I, I believe that serendipity is kind of the the medium of, of documentary film. Uh, probably all all kinds of filmmaking, um, and so the fact that we stumbled upon them while uh, making something else, yeah, that that feels right in, in some way. Um, I next, I, I'm, I've been very luckily busy on, on this tour, traveling around the world with the film. So I haven't been actively working on on a, a next project, uh, but there's themes in the film that have really excited me that I want to explore more deeply, namely the the idea of geologic time and different conceptions of how humans have built time, uh, how that's connected to. Uh, to economy, power, um, cultural identity, uh, relationships to nature. So that's something I, I hope to explore, um, especially through kind of a character story um, that can really kind of bring into focus uh, perhaps the, yeah, the power um, of, of nature. I think that's something I'm always drawn towards. Uh, but I don't have like a, a, a next documentary project. Um, I'll be really excited to, to dream that up soon. Any more questions? Wonderful one of our students, I think, yeah. I find it really surprising about the last footage of yeah, the couple because I remembered I learned about the explosion in Japan and I wrote it on the book, on the textbook. I remember that. Yeah, that's why I was like, I was feeling like, oh, maybe this is destiny. Maybe I was meant to watch the film today and I feel it really, you know, happy about it and I've, I feel like I'm falling in love with the film. And the second thing I want to ask about the process working with the animator, because I just said about the music, the theme was retrofuturistic, but at the same time, the animation was also retrofuturistic and it was like crafty and yeah, the illustration was beautiful. So I want to ask about like, how, how did you communicate with the animators? Oh, well, first, just thank you for sharing that story. Um, that's I'm so touched by that. Um, and, and thank you for that question about animation. Um, the, the process of working with animation in the film was, was such a fun one. Um, we decided early on that we wanted to use animation in the film uh, to tell kind of how Katya and Maurice fell in love and also to punctuate throughout the film. Um, but namely because of this kind of limitation of the archives, uh, we didn't want to necessarily paper over the gaps. We wanted to acknowledge the gaps in the record, um, but we wanted to do so in a way that again felt of Katya and Maurice. And they collected thousands of, of illustrations of volcanoes, aside from you know all of their footage and, and their books. Um, uh, these illustrations kind of dated, I believe uh, they dated back to the 14th century. And a lot of them were whimsical and um, almost psychedelic looking and scientific all at once. Um, they kind of occupied a, a point in science where, um, for example, in the, I believe it was 1650, um, there's a, a scientist named Althinius Kircher who was kind of an authority of volcanoes. And he believed that volcanoes were caused by dragons living inside the earth. And I love that. There's some, there's so, it's so magical. It speaks to the supernatural power of volcanoes, and his illustrations were scientific yet completely magical. And it was that kind of intersection that inspired the aesthetic for the animation. Um, but uh, since Katya and Maurice, you know, they, they didn't really grab cameras until uh, the, the late 60s, early 70s, we needed something to illustrate the story of them falling in love. And since they fell in love as university students over books, we thought kind of this paper book world would be an appropriate way to kind of set that, uh, set that tone and locate that story. Um, and we had the wonderful fortune of working with an animator named Lucy Munger, who works in paper cutout style stop motion animation. And she just perfectly got 
what we were going for and developed this aesthetic that felt like this dreamy book world where two, you know, lovers could could meet each other. Um, so that that was kind of the initial impetus and inspiration and and the process. I actually wanted to ask you, um, just for the listeners at home, or perhaps the girls on film listeners in the audience, any message for them, and particularly young filmmakers who might be listening? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great question, and I'll, I'll try to to keep it concise because um, I I love I have my dream job. I absolutely love filmmaking. Um, I love working with my colleagues. I, I love the pursuit of story and meaning. It's it's more than I ever could have dreamed up when I was younger. It was such a hard road, though. It, I encountered so many challenges along the way and a tremendous amount of sexism. And I think a lot of the ways that I dealt with that was uh, building relationships, um, especially with with women, um, knowing that we had each other's back, knowing that uh, other people were bearing witness to some of the things that we encountered, because sometimes it feels crazy, you know? It's like, did that person actually say that to me? <laughs> did he actually do that? <laughs> things like that. So building kind of that community and also seeking out mentors um, who really could inspire and, and to, to look, you know, towards them and say, okay, you know, if, if she did it and, and she's giving me advice, then I will listen deeply and, and I will honor that. So I feel like finding your people and trusting yourself uh, gave me um, a lot of strength in, in navigating some turbulent and, and tough waters. Uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I've learned a lot from those encounters, but I really hope others don't have to do that. So <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, how wonderful to have come this far and to be such a, you know, huge in award season. I mean, congratulations again. You've clearly worked so hard, you and the team, on this amazing film, Fire of Love. And thank you all for listening and for your questions. And thank Thank you to National Geographic for having us today. And congratulations again. Thank you so much, Sarah Dosa. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're listening to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith and I was joined by Sarah Dosa live in front of an audience at the Soho Hotel to talk about Fire of Love. Thank you for listening. UK listeners can watch Fire of Love now on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Girls on Film is an HLA production, brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, producer Lydia Scott, audio producer Cam Griffiths, intern Eleanor Hardy, and our partners for this episode, National Geographic Documentary Films. Thanks, see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>